part two section eighteen of swan's way by marcel proust translated by c k scott moncrief eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part two combray section eighteen presently the course of the vivant became choked with water plants at first they appeared singly a lily for instance which the current across whose path it had unfortunately grown would never leave at rest for a moment so that like a ferry-boat mechanically propelled it would drift over to one bank only to return to the other eternally repeating its double journey thrust towards the bank its stalk would be straightened out lengthened strained almost to breaking-point until the current again caught it its green moorings swung back over their anchorage and brought the unhappy plant to what might fitly be called its starting-point since it was fated not to rest there a moment before moving off once again i would still find it there on one walk after another always in the same helpless state suggesting certain victims of neurasthenia among whom my grandfather would have included my aunt leonie who present without modification year after year the spectacle of their odd and unaccountable habits which they always imagine themselves to be on the point of shaking off but which they always retain to the end caught in the treadmill of their own maladies and eccentricities their futile endeavours to escape serve only to actuate its mechanism to keep in motion the clockwork of their strange ineluctable fatal daily round such as these was the water-lily and also like one of those wretches whose peculiar torments repeated indefinitely throughout eternity aroused the curiosity of dante who would have inquired of them at greater length and in fuller detail from the victims themselves had not virgil striding on ahead obliged him to hasten after him at full speed as i must hasten after my parents but farther on the current slackened where the stream ran through a property thrown open to the public by its owner who had made a hobby of aquatic gardening so that the little ponds into which the vivant was here diverted were aflower with water-lilies as the banks at this point were thickly wooded the heavy shade of the trees gave the water a background which was ordinarily dark green although sometimes when we were coming home on a calm evening after a stormy afternoon i have seen in its depths a clear crude blue that was almost violet suggesting a floor of japanese cloison here and there on the surface floated blushing like a strawberry the scarlet heart of a lily set in a ring of white petals beyond these the flowers were more frequent but paler less glossy more thickly seated more tightly folded and disposed by accident in festoons so graceful that i would fancy i saw floating upon the stream as though after the dreary stripping of the decorations used in some watteau festival moss roses and loosened garlands elsewhere a corner seemed to be reserved for the commoner kinds of lily of a neat pink or white like rocket flowers washed clean like porcelain with housewifely care while a little farther again were others pressed close together in a floating garden bed as though pansies had flown out of a garden like butterflies and were hovering with blue and burnished wings over the transparent shadowiness of this watery border this skyey border also for it set beneath the flowers a soil of a colour more precious more moving than their own 
and both in the afternoon when it sparkled beneath the lilies in the kaleidoscope of a happiness silent restless and alert and towards evening when it was filled like a distant heaven with the roseate dreams of the setting sun incessantly changing and ever remaining in harmony about the more permanent colour of the flowers themselves with the utmost profundity evanescence and mystery with a quiet suggestion of infinity afternoon or evening it seemed to have set them flowering in the heart of the day after leaving this park the vivonne began to flow again more swiftly how often have i watched and longed to imitate when i should be free to live as i chose a rower who had shipped his oars and lay stretched out on his back his head down in the bottom of his boat letting it drift with the current seeing nothing but the sky which slipped quietly above him showing upon his features a foretaste of happiness and peace we would sit down among the irises at the water's edge in the holiday sky a lazy cloud streamed out to its full length now and then crushed by the burden of idleness a carp would heave up out of the water with an anxious gasp it was time for us to feed before starting homewards we would sit for a long time there eating fruit and bread and chocolate on the grass over which came to our ears horizontal faint but solid still and metallic the sound of the bells of st hilaire which had melted not at all in the atmosphere it was so well accustomed to traverse but broken piecemeal by the successive palpitation of all their sonorous strokes throbbed as it brushed the flowers at our feet sometimes at the water's edge and embedded in trees we would come upon a house of the kind called pleasure houses isolated and lost seeing nothing of the world save the river which bathes its feet a young woman whose pensive face and fashionable veils did not suggest a local origin and who had doubtless come there in the popular phrase to bury herself to taste the bitter sweetness of feeling that her name and still more the name of him whose heart she had once held but had been unable to keep were unknown there stood framed in a window from which she had no outlook beyond the boat that was moored beside her door she raised her eyes with an air of distraction when she heard through the trees that lined the bank the voices of passers-by of whom before they came in sight she might be certain that never had they known nor would they know the faithless lover that nothing in their past lives bore his imprint which nothing in their future would have occasion to receive one felt that in her renunciation of life she had willingly abandoned those places in which she would at least have been able to see him whom she loved for others where he had never trod and i watched her as she returned from some walk along a road where she had known that he would not appear drawing from her submissive fingers long gloves of a precious useless charm never in the course of our walks along the guermant way might we penetrate as far as the source of the vivonne of which i had often thought which had in my mind so abstract so ideal an existence that i had been as much surprised when someone told me that it was actually to be found in the same department and at a given number of miles from combray as i had been on the day when i had learned that there was another fixed point somewhere on the earth's surface where according to the ancients opened the jaws of hell nor could we ever reach that other goal to which i longed so much to attain guermont itself i knew that it was the residence of its proprietors the duke and duchesse de guermont i knew that they were real personages who did actually exist 
but whenever i thought about them i pictured them to myself either in tapestry as was the coronation of esther which hung in our church or else in changing rainbow colours as was gilbert the bad in his window where he passed from cabbage green when i was dipping my fingers in the holy water stoop to plum blue when i had reached our row of chairs or again altogether impalpable like the image of genevieve de bourbon ancestress of the germont family which the magic lantern sent wandering over the curtains of my room or flung aloft upon the ceiling in short always wrapped in the mystery of the merovingian age and bathed as in a sunset in the orange light which glowed from the resounding syllable aunt and if in spite of that they were for me in their capacity as a duke and a duchess real people though of an unfamiliar kind this ducal personality was in its turn enormously distended immaterialized so as to encircle and contain that germont way of which they were duke and duchess all that sunlit germont way of our walks the course of the vivonne its water-lilies and its overshadowing trees and an endless series of hot summer afternoons and i knew that they bore not only the titles of duke and duchesse de guermont but that since the fourteenth century when after vain attempts to conquer its earlier lords in battle they had allied themselves by marriage and so became counts of cumbrai the first citizens consequently of the place and yet the only ones among its citizens who did not reside in it comte de cumbrai possessing cumbrai threading it on their string of names and titles absorbing it in their personalities and illustrating no doubt in themselves that strange and pious melancholy which was peculiar to cumbrai proprietors of the town though not of any particular house there dwelling presumably out of doors in the street between heaven and earth like that gilbert de gamont of whom i could see in the stained glass of the apes of st hilaire only the other side in dull black lacquer if i raised my eyes to look for him when i was going to camus for a packet of salt and then it happened that going the germont way i passed occasionally by a row of well-watered little gardens over whose hedges rose clusters of dark blossoms i would stop before them hoping to gain some precious addition to my experience for i seemed to have before my eyes a fragment of that riverside country which i had longed so much to see and know since coming upon a description of it by one of my favourite authors and it was with that story-book land with its imagined soil intersected by a hundred bubbling watercourses that germont changing its form in my mind became identified after i heard dr persepee speak of the flowers and the charming rivulets and fountains that were to be seen there in the ducal park i used to dream that madame de guermont taking a sudden capricious fancy for myself invited me there that all day long she stood fishing for trout by my side and when evening came holding my hand in her own as we passed by the little gardens of her vassals she would point out to me the flowers that leaned their red and purple spikes along the tops of the low walls and would teach me all their names she would make me tell her too all about the poems that i meant to compose and these dreams reminded me that since i wished some day to become a writer it was high time to decide what sort of books i was going to write but as soon as i asked myself the question and tried to discover some subjects to which i could impart a philosophical significance of infinite value my mind would stop like a clock 
i would see before me vacuity nothing would feel either that i was wholly devoid of talent or that perhaps the malady of the brain was hindering its development sometimes i would depend upon my father's arranging everything for me he was so powerful in such favour with the people who really counted that he made it possible for us to transgress laws which Françoise had taught me to regard as more ineluctable than the laws of life and death as when we were allowed to postpone for a year the compulsory repainting of the walls of our house alone among all the houses in that part of paris or when he obtained permission from the minister for madame Césarat's son who had been ordered to some watering-place to take his degree two months before the proper time among the candidates whose surnames began with a instead of having to wait his turn as an s if i had fallen seriously ill if i had been captured by brigands convinced that my father's understanding with the supreme powers was too complete that his letters of introduction to the almighty were too irresistible for my illness or captivity to turn out anything but vain illusions in which there was no danger actually threatening me i should have awaited with perfect composure the inevitable hour of my return to comfortable realities of my deliverance from bondage or restoration to health perhaps this want of talent this black cavity which gaped in my mind when i ransacked it for the theme of my future writings was itself no more either than an unsubstantial illusion and would be brought to an end by the intervention of my father who would arrange with the government and with providence that i should be the first writer of my day but at other times while my parents were growing impatient at seeing me loiter behind instead of following them my actual life instead of seeming an artificial creation by my father and one which he could modify as he chose appeared on the contrary to be comprised in a larger reality which had not been created for my benefit from whose judgments there was no appeal in the heart of which i was bound helpless without friend or ally and beyond which no further possibilities lay concealed it was evident to me then that i existed in the same manner as all other men that i must grow old that i must die like them and that among them i was to be distinguished merely as one of those who have no aptitude for writing and so utterly despondent i renounced literature forever despite the encouragements that had been given me by bloch this intimate spontaneous feeling this sense of the nullity of my intellect prevailed against all the flattering speeches that might be lavished upon me as a wicked man when every one is loud in the praise of his good deeds is gnawed by the secret remorse of conscience one day my mother said you are always talking about madame de guermont well dr persepide did a great deal for her when she was ill four years ago and so she is coming to combray for his daughter's wedding you will be able to see her in church it was from dr persepide as it happened that i had heard most about madame de guermont and he had even shown us the number of an illustrated paper in which she was depicted in the costume which she had worn at a fancy dress ball given by the princesse de leon suddenly during the nuptial mass the beadle by moving to one side enabled me to see sitting in a chapel a lady with fair hair and a large nose piercing blue eyes a billowy scarf of mauve silk glossy and new and brilliant and a little spot at the corner of her nose and because on the surface of her face which was red as though she had been very warm i could make out diluted and barely perceptible details which resembled the portrait that had been shown to me 
because more especially the particular features which i remarked in this lady if i attempted to catalogue them formulated themselves in precisely the same terms a large nose blue eyes as dr persipede had used when describing in my presence the duchesse de guermont i said to myself this lady is like the duchesse de guermont now the chapel from which she was following the service was that of gilbert the bad beneath its flat tombstones yellowed and bulging like cells of honey in a comb rested the bones of the old counts of brabant and i remembered having heard it said that this chapel was reserved for the guermont family whenever any of its members came to attend a ceremony at combray there was indeed but one woman resembling the portrait of madame de guermont who on that day the very day on which she was expected to come there could be sitting in that chapel it was she my disappointment was immense it arose from my not having borne in mind when i thought of madame de guermont that i was picturing her to myself in the colours of a tapestry or a painted window as living in another century as being of another substance than the rest of the human race never had i taken into account that she might have a red face a mauve scarf like madame Cesarin, and the oval curve of her cheeks reminded me so strongly of people whom i had seen at home that the suspicion brushed against my mind though it was immediately banished that this lady in her creative principle in the molecules of her physical composition was perhaps not substantially the duchesse de guermont but that her body in ignorance of the name that people had given it belonged to a certain type of femininity which included also the wives of doctors and tradesmen it is it must be madame de guermont and no one else were the words underlying the attentive and astonished expression with which i was gazing upon this image which naturally enough bore no resemblance to those that had so often under the same title of madame de guermont appeared to me in dreams since this one had not been like the others formed arbitrarily by myself but had sprung into sight for the first time only a moment ago here in church an image which was not of the same nature was not colourable at will like those others that allowed themselves to imbibe the orange tint of a sonorous syllable but which was so real that everything even to the fiery little spot at the corner of her nose gave an assurance of her subjection to the laws of life as in a transformation scene on the stage a crease in the dress of a fairy a quivering of her tiny finger indicate the material presence of a living actress before our eyes whereas we were uncertain till then whether we were not looking merely at a projection of limelight from a lantern End of part two, section eighteen. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.